you know, when we experience <clears throat> trauma, uh, when we experience hurt or heartache or devastating loss or a significantly traumatic experience, like whatever, more often than not, we've been conditioned to put that in the past, right? Like when we get through it, it's over. We don't want to deal with it anymore. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to address it. And therefore, we in general miss out on this opportunity to use that experience to then go and gift somebody else with the path forward. Welcome to Authentic Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan James Miller, and I believe the way to freedom, fulfillment, and success ultimately comes by living as the most authentic version of yourself. If you're ready to live the life you've dreamed of, you're in the right place. All right, what up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Authentic Conversations. Uh, I am super pumped for this conversation today with, you're looking at him already, that's Bill Harris. Um, and uh, Bill and I met uh, back in Tennessee. Uh, as you've heard me share on a couple of recent episodes, uh, I am a part of a group of men, a men's mastermind group, and we share in a lot of similar uh, vision and values as it relates to faith, family, money, work. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to get out to Tennessee for uh, a live in-person event. Uh, Bill and I shook hands and just hit it off. And uh, I was really drawn to a lot of the passion that he had. Uh, he is a uh, uh, more than two decade uh, a veteran of the uh, Navy and uh, served in the special forces, which I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on to some degree. And, um, and that really led to him coming out and, and uh, understanding what it meant to have and deal with his own levels of PTSD and anxiety and stress and depression that, that resulted from that. And he's taken that passion into a desire to serve men that are dealing with sim similar issues. And so when we were talking, I was like, we have to get on the podcast and talk about this. So that long drawn out intro is a way to say, what up, dude? Welcome. Thank you. Oh, man, that was an awesome intro. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I felt the same way, man. It was a great connection. And uh, I couldn't wait till the first break. Because uh, you had a lot of a lot of uh, gear on like you do now. And uh, I'm like, I got to find out what that guy's what he's into and what he's all about. What's this ridiculous guy's story? <laughs> okay, so I, I've I've loved to kick off um, uh, most of these episodes with this question, and then there's no more prescribed questions, and then we're just going to let it fly. Uh, so, for you, how would you best describe or define manhood? Wow, um, <laughs> just throw I, it I out. Think... Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, th I think for me, I think what's really important for me in, in answering this is not even necessarily the answer. It's the fact that for me, the answer is significantly different now than it was for most of my life. Oh. Right. And, and in, uh, I think a lot of the work that I'm doing now and a lot of the self-help work really is, is centered around that question. And I know like when it comes to journaling and making yourself better, you know, part of the part of the solution is starting to ask better questions. And I think that really is one of the core, core questions. So for me, I think it's, I think it's one of the things you said early on was authentic conversations, right? And for me, I think I've reached a point in my life where if I never have another conversation that's inauthentic, 
um, that's fine with me. I don't need to talk about the weather. I don't need to talk about the score of the game anymore. And I think I, I sort of look back regretfully at how many, how much of my life and how many hours were wasted just in, in, in menial conversations that weren't authentic. Um, so for me, I think it's about kind of being your true self everywhere, right? Not being a different person at work, not being a different person around a core group of people, not being a different person at church, not, right? I think so. I think to me, it's it's the authenticity of it. And it's the kind of being a courageous leader, knowing when the time is to be bold, uh, when the time is to be vocal. Um, and I think for a lot of for a lot of my years, I thought the loudest guy in the room was was sort of the, the biggest man. And I think now, I think the sort of the most powerful man in the room tends to be the guy who's the most vulnerable. Mm. And I think, so for me, I think the definition has changed significantly Ooh, coming from, God. from coming from a military culture where, where uh, there's a lot of rah-rah and there's a lot of bravado. There's also a lot of physicality. Um, yeah. and, and it's not that those things aren't a part of manhood. I think it's just figuring out um, the time and the place and, and to what ratio is that important and when and where, right? Knowing, knowing that you have those tools, but more importantly, when and where to deploy and use them. Mm. Okay. So, Dude, there there are so many wonderful nuggets that you already said in the midst of that. So my first tip to you listening is to press pause, uh, rewind back about <laughs> 90 <laughs> seconds, listen to him say that again, uh, and then we're going to keep going. Okay, so there's there's a couple of things that you talked about there. And one of them that I haven't um, spent a lot of time talking to people about, but I love, <clears throat> is this tension between... Uh, we'll say vulnerability. That's the word you use for now. I think we can expand on that. And then uh, courage and bravery. You said bravado, but, uh, you know, bravery, um, you know, you have this uh, background uh, that is very valiant, that is very courageous. Uh, I, I know from the little bit of time we talked and can assume, right, in some very, very difficult environments, um, even just in the time that you were in the military, that you had to be tough, that you had to like puff the chest up and flex the muscle and, and grind it out. And so as you think about all of that, and you can dig back into any of those that you want, as you think about all of that, how do you play in this tension today between the need to stand strong, to be courageous for your wife, for your kids, uh, for yourself, for your community, and at the same time, demonstrate this necessary vulnerability that has been all but destroyed uh, in culture today uh, as it relates to manhood. Uh, yeah, I think I think the key word you said is tension. I think I think there's always a tension there. Um, I think for me, it, the answer lies more in the why, right? The why behind the need to do the things you do. Like like, and, and an example I think for me would be. Uh, athletics and sports was a big portion of my life, right? And that uh, I have a competitive gene, right? So when we're playing family games, I, I want to win. And my <laughs> wife's kind of the polar opposite, right? We can't play Monopoly because halfway through, she's just handing the kids properties. And I'm like, this will never end. This is already a long game. So I think, I think for me, it was kind of digging into the why of that. Like, why do I feel the need to have to win? And I think kind of in, in doing the work and moving some dirt, and learning more about myself and growing, I think some of the why behind that wasn't always a positive thing, right? It was the need for accolades. It was the need to sort of um, be propped up or the need to sort of hear, right? Surrounding myself with cheerleaders, right? And the way that I could get those cheerleaders to cheer was by winning instead of realizing that 
Um, so the, the tension piece for me, I think uh, the way that, that I now is I can be vulnerable because you start to, once you're filled up from inside and once, once you sort of have a, a better foundation, especially when, where faith starts to kind of come into that, mm-hmm. um, you don't, you don't need the validation of others, right? You're validated by your maker and you're, and you're validated by, by the people that matter most to you. So, so that, you know, that concept that everybody else's opinion of me is none of my business that sounds awesome. Like that looks awesome on a poster, but to live that day to day and to get around other people and to truly not. And then, and I think that's a little inauthentic in of itself, right? Because if we truly didn't care, we would only run around in sweatpants and we would, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and there are some people who do that. Right. But I think, I think there has to be a fine balance in that, right? Like other people's opinion is not going to force me to, to present a different version of myself. I can yeah. be authentic because I'm not solely focused on their opinion doesn't mean I don't want to be regarded highly by my peers and my friends, my coworkers, but, but I'm not going to become a different version of myself or an inauthentic version of myself just to accomplish that. Whereas in the past, I might've, I might've bent on those principles. Well, and, and I, I love even the tension there. I, I, I love to feel that because again, too often, I think we, <clears throat> because we've seen the toxicity of we're the tough guy. We're loud. We want everybody to know who we are. We want to win. So the world, you know, says our name over and over again. And so everybody just runs away from that. And what I, what I love about what you said is no, no, no. Like there's some good in that. And, and that's okay. As long as we're living in this tension of doing it for the right reasons and not just kind of throwing it all out. Um, So in, in this, in this kind of competitive uh, a place that you're in now. So, um, how, how do you satisfy that without overdoing it when it comes to forget monopoly for a second, though, I'm sure like you, you flipped over a board maybe once in your life, but like, how do you satisfy that competitive juice without going overboard? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really know the answer to that because I, I still find myself at times going over. I just, I just think now I'm in a place where I'm intentional about being retrospective and analyzing it and at least making the course corrections as opposed to mm-hmm. staying in that space. So I, an example for me would be that immediately made me think of, uh, we, we just took up tennis probably in the last eight months or so during COVID. For some reason, my kids were like, Hey, let's, let's, let's play tennis. There's a court in our neighborhood. Let's go. And it, I really start falling in love with the sport mm. and it was one of those I've never really played it. And it's tennis is an interesting thing because you can't, it's not an easy thing to self-teach and you almost have to have somebody on par with you. If somebody's very good, uh, it's not going to be fun for them to play somebody who's new, right? So you kind of have to, ha- you have to have a partner. You have to. And so in, in that, it developed in this healthy thing where I was playing with the kids and we were sort of competing, but I, I always, but, I, but retrospectively now I pushed it a little too far and I got to the point where um there were times we went together and took this event that should have been a wholesome sort of dad and his sons. And instead I, I got it to the point where I'm getting angry at them or I'm getting frustrated with them. And, and the opportunity to lead and demonstrate um, the right way didn't, you know, I, I didn't flourish in those moments, let's say. Um, and then now uh, I just tore some ligaments in my foot about a week and a half ago. And I think the difference for me now is looking at it like, okay, what do I do with this besides get it fixed surgically? Right. I, I look at it as, Hey, this was, this is a God moment. And I'm being sidelined because, Hey, you were, you were starting to do the, you were starting to repeat a pattern that was an older mm-hmm. version of you. 
right? And, and not necessarily showing the best version of you, right? So instead of just enjoying the time and instead of pouring into them, I let the competition portion of it um, take more center stage. <laughs> so funny. We, 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 just, we just became so much more alike because <clears throat> the only way that, uh, not that God can't be effective in any way, but the only way God has ever shown to be effective to me um, it, or, or, or when I really listen <clears throat> is what I should say is when he just whacks me from the knees, like, you know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to make it hurt a little bit. And I'm like, no, that's fine. I'll grind through it. I'm going to make it hurt a little bit more. No, I'm going to grind through it. I'm going to take away every single thing you own. Yeah. Oh, you know, now it makes sense to me. So yeah, I, I always hard. phrase that, that to that point, I always say, I I've never read any of God's post-it notes. He has to drop a bomb on me for, <laughs> for me to get it. And it's not that there weren't hints along the way. I just choose to refuse to pay any attention to them. So good. That is so good. <clears throat> okay. I, I want to, I want to shift back to the other side of uh, kind of the vulnerability side of things and particularly because I know this is an area that you're really passionate about. So you were on this journey of your own, uh, you did a significant amount of time uh, in the military, you served, uh, and you, you come out and you develop this heart to go back and serve men that experience a lot of the same things you did, and probably to different degrees. And so <clears throat> was that something that was developed over time while you were serving? Or was it something that once you got out, you had this moment of like, oh my gosh, I need to help in this area? Yeah, I think what when I got out, prior to getting out, I, I started the journey of teaching and I started to fall in love mm. with that. And that's really been my primary occupation since retiring. And that in and of itself is a, is a gift, right? The opportunity to share experiences with others, the opportunity to really more than anything, share mistakes that you've made. Mm. Uh, because I'm a medic, those tend to be in the life-saving realm. So to me, it's a gift that I can potentially share with other people stuff that may save their lives or save the lives mm -hmm. of others. So, so I think a little bit of it is that, but I think more of it was when, when my struggles came and when it really got to be too much and I finally realized I needed help, I couldn't find the things that I needed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find the answers to the questions I was asking. Um, and it was a lot of sort of self-help right for lack of a better term and when I sort of got the help that I needed it and frankly at the end it wasn't all self-help I did find some organizations and some people it was it took a village um but but I knew to, to sort of make sense of that I needed to I need to go back and go hey where are the guys who and gals um, but primarily men because my, my work is men's work was hey where are the folks who are where I am or where I was and how do I reach them and how do I, you know, kind of shine light. Uh, the program I went through was called the path program. And I think it's such a great metaphor because uh, number one, you got to find the path. And number two, if you're on it, you should be eliminating for those that are kind of coming behind you. So I think, you know, it was, it was sort of a natural progression. And the other thing I think that naturally happens with struggle is in an effort to make sense of it in our own, we want to do something with it. You know, I mean, we want to just not only get past it, but we also want to grow and go, okay, well, it makes sense that I had this struggle because now that gives me, um, it gives me the ability to make sense of it by helping others, right? I, that's why this was placed upon me, right? Now, now I have authority in this space that I wouldn't have had before. Now I can, you know, I, I wouldn't have had the credibility to speak to someone who's struggling with anxiety, having never really done that. And as a, as a medical provider, I've treated people 
for, for diseases and illnesses that I've never had, right? It wasn't until I tore my ACL that I was way more sympathetic about treating people that had to rehab, you know, a sports injury for a year. So, so I think, I think I look at it differently because I've walked that walk. And I'm certainly more empathetic. And there is so much wisdom in such a lesson in what you just said that I feel like not enough people capture. Um, I'm a deep believer that experience trumps education overall. Um, not to not to poo-poo education. There, there's definitely a place for it and, and, and it can be great. But I think there's so much power. But I think what you said there is something that people really miss. And it's, you know, when we experience... <clears throat> trauma, uh, when we experience hurt or heartache or devastating loss or a significantly traumatic experience, like whatever, more often than not, we've been conditioned to put that in the past, right? Like when we get through it, it's over. We don't want to deal with it anymore. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to address it. And therefore, we in general miss out on this opportunity to use that experience to then go and gift somebody else with the path forward. And so was that a conviction that you have had all along or was that something that you started to come to a realization of as you were dealing with it? I think, I think it's probably a twofold answer because for me, the, the understanding and the growth of sort of how to fix some of these things also came at the same time where I returned to faith. Mm. And, and in, in sort of coming to faith, you start to learn a lot more about your responsibility, your responsibility to share that with others, your responsibility to grow the kingdom. Um, and I've, I've sort of used the metaphor with people like once, once I realized there was an elevator, uh, you'd be foolish not to remind those that are continuing to take the stairs that, Hey, there's an easier way. There's a better way. And so I think that component of it had already sort of primed me to feel this way. And, and I, I sort of knew, in fact, when I went through the program that I went through, um, I went through a program called Boulder Crest Warrior Path Program. And it, you know, 100% charity, it's, you know, it's a 501c3. It was an eight day sort of intensive program. And I knew when I went there, I had already done a lot of the work. And I, I, the description I use is, hey, I wouldn't say I was out of the tunnel, but I was a pretty good far ways out where I could see the light. Mm. And I just, I considered that to be finishing school. And I really went there because I wanted to see, I had already gone there with the philosophy of teach me the rest of what I need to know. Like, show me a system because I know I'm going to need to want to share it with others. I wanted yeah. to see sort of what it looked like. Like, I, I know what I did on my own, but it was a lot of bits and pieces of taking from here and there. And I wanted to see you have a book or you have a systematized way to do this because I know I already felt the call to go do more of that. Yeah. That's good. That's good. <clears throat> okay. So you, you, you have this heart to serve men that have experienced similar events to you, whether it was a tour of duty more than one tour uh, that created some trauma, you know, some trauma, PTSD, um, or that could be experienced in another area of life. And so what, what do those initial interactions begin to look like? Because I think that there's a lot of guys that are listening right now that are like, yeah, like I, I, I have, I have some of that. Like I, I struggle. Um, 
but I don't really know how to articulate it. And then I don't like, what do I Google? Like I have anxiety like that. that <laughs> that's overwhelming. So what is that kind of kind of look and feel like as guys are starting to, to feel those things? Yeah, I think the other thing that, that's interesting for me is the timing of which it was all happening was sort of the same time that the pandemic was popping up. And so part of what I felt is something that even people who were in a good mental health space were feeling was that need for fellowship. Mm. Like, Hey, I need to be around other people, right? I need to, I need to break bread with other people. I need to be around a campfire with them, whatever I need to, you know, I love my family, but we can only stay home for so many days and play Monopoly. Right. (laughs) So I think, so I think part of it is just number one, like you said, if you're feeling something in general, I think the way we're raised, most of us and the way that, either whether the way at home or in school or whatever it is, whoever raises us and trains us and models for us the way we should act as men, I think for the most part, and some of it obviously is age related too, it's it's not demonstrated for us. And you mentioned the group that we're in. What attracted me to that group, frankly, was the guy who leads that group because he's a little older. And I I knew I don't have an adult male role figure role sort of model in my life, demonstrating to me what it's supposed to look like for this next season of my life. So I would say, you know, you can Google anxiety, but find somebody else who's struggling, find somebody who you aspire to be like, find somebody, you know, find it and and find a group of them. And I think I just heard somebody, and I wish I could remember who it was to give them credit, but what he said was generally for most of us, men don't make friendships um, by communicating right? By, by doing the things we just talked about. Typically, men don't come together, share their feelings, and then form a, a bond. Typically, men make friendships either because we work together, we play softball together, we drink together. We So usually for us, it's an activity-based thing, right? That's sort of where, and that's why we typically have different pockets of friends. Some overlap and some don't. Like, hey, these are my softball buddies. Hey, these are my work buddies. These are my hunting buddies. These are my high school buddies. Um, and I think some of that's probably the way we're wired. Some of it's probably cultural. And so, in starting to do the events that I've done, the camps that I put on, now we've created this core group of men where that friendship, the foundation of that didn't start in activities, even though there were activities there. It started with, with conversation. It started with vulnerability. It started with sharing on a level with, you know, these guys are like, hey, man, I'm telling guys stuff in this room that, that I'm, my best friend doesn't know. In fact, the first camp that I put on, my son came to. Um, I have an older son who's 29. Oh, 39, excuse me. And he told me, he's like, hey, I called my best friend on the way home from camp. And we had a conversation that was deeper than we've had in 20 years. And I think it was because it had been demonstrated for him. Like, hey, this is an expectation. And this is how this is how you have to, you know, kind of use your phrase. This is how you have an authentic conversation with somebody. Right. Yeah. You ask better questions. You listen better and you talk about things that matter, that are authentic, that are important. You know, it's interesting because for me, my dad's a pretty emotional guy, um, though he wasn't um, my my parents divorced when I was young. So I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him uh, every other weekend, mostly. And his exterior is very hard. He was a cop. So very hard outer shell. He's very strict, very disciplined, very heavy handed. He's, he's grown a lot, you know, over the years and, and, and it's not so much like that anymore. So, so that was kind of like the, the, the model ish of manhood that was, that was demonstrated to me. And I think for a lot of people, that's what we see. We don't see 
the crying. We don't see the, the, the talk around hurt and heartache and shame and embarrassment. And so when, 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 when that's not a part of the norm, we don't know where to go when we feel those things, which, you know, I, I've read plenty of studies in this regard, you know, th- which is why, you know, so many men lash out in anger the way that they do is because they don't know how to deal with their feelings. And so they go to this natural feeling of anger and rage, which is so scary, right? Um, so <clears throat> I, I love that you say that you enter into this place, uh, uh, you know, you go to, to lead one of these uh, weekends and, you know, guys are, guys are stepping into that environment. This may be an I don't know, but why do you feel like they are comfortable enough to step into that environment and open up if most of them haven't been conditioned to have that conversation naturally? I think it's a twofold answer. I think part of it is what we're doing in that is creating an environment, but I also think their souls are aching for it. Mm. And I think far more of us need it. And I think we know what we need. We just don't know we need it. Right. So I think it's, it's, they show up in a place where, somebody's saying and giving them permission, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to, and, um, and somebody else is going to stand up first and then sort of share at a level, which initially may make you uncomfortable, but then quickly what happens is they feel like, well, now I feel like I've got so much I want to get off now off of my chest and so much I want to. So I think, I think there's a, a yearning for a place to go do it. And I think once, once you see that sort of the light bulb goes off and prior to the first camp that we did, I felt that way, right? I'm like, Hey, I I know I need this. And I think a lot of other guys do, but I didn't know for sure. And interesting enough, the the first night, you know, I had, we had a schedule and the first night, all they were supposed to do was introductions and halfway around the circle of doing introductions, guys were already starting to like, and I'm like, what's happening here? Like, wait, this isn't even supposed to happen yet. You know? So I think, and, and the only thing that was done prior to that, you know, I'd put out some ground rules saying, hey, what, what's said here stays here, you know, other than just setting a safe space for them. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of discussion. They knew that mm-hmm. they knew we were going to throw axes and you were going to, you know, cook meat over, you know, like they knew there would be some some man stuff there. But they also yeah. knew that there was an expectation that, hey, we're, we're going to have conversations that are authentic and meaningful. That was it. There wasn't a whole lot of qual- qualifications prior to that. Which I think is, is, is such a wonderful illustration of just how much men are yearning for this is when I finally see this glimpse of light, right? I think it's like, I I never, you know, played football competitively, but it's like the running back that is looking at a solid line. And then all of a sudden he sees this glimpse of light that he can run through the line and, 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 you know, go to glory. It's like when men see this little glimpse of a gap in between this wall that's been built around them, they are in. And so I, I just wish more guys would understand that it is necessary because I'm sure you have seen just how much, like forget the devastation of holding this all in and what it does to you internally, but also it has such a negative impact on who they can be in the world around them, right? Like you just can't be yourself. You can't produce at a high level. You can't achieve what you are designed to achieve if all this crap is going on inside you and you don't know where to put it, right? 
Well, and I also think, I think the better way to describe it would be, I, I just created a space where I gave them permission to be a more authentic version of themselves. And I think in fairness, society and culture and work and all things, most places don't do that. Yeah. Right. Most places aren't comfortable with that. And most places don't give you permission to be the real version of you that's sort of in there that wants to come out. Yeah. So, I, so I, I think just trying to figure out how to do more of that day to day in our encounters with one another, I think, is 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 what I think about. Right. How do I how do I leave this person better than I found? Them? How, do, how do you know I, the expression we use is pie. Right. P.I.E. Um, you know, I want to be when I have a conversation with anybody, I want to be present. Right. I want to be. Uh, now I can't think of the acronym. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> intentional. I want to be per- present. I want to be intentional, and I want to be empathetic. Mm. Right. I want to. I want there to be something more here. And and I think one of the guys at the conference we were at, he kind of summed that up really well. And he said, "Hey, when you approach these one-on-one conversations with someone, instead of thinking about what you can get out of it, think about who can I connect with in here that I have something for. Right. Yeah, this. This. Right. This was." this pain, this suffering was gifted to me for a reason so that I could then gift it to somebody else. Right. And I could pay it forward. Yeah, that, man. I mean, that, that is, that, that's so good. And, and again, I just, I, I wish more men would really take that to heart. Also what I liked that you, uh, uh, talked a little bit about in there and back to what we started, part of what we started with is this idea of healthy tension, because it's not as though we're saying like, let, let's create this circle of tears that we're all going to pour into. And that's who we are for the rest of our lives. It's no, 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 no. That's part like, I believe that's part of being a man. I've challenged this lately. A lot of people say, well, that's the feminine side of you coming out. I said, no, there's no feminine side of me. Like I am an all man. And part of me being a man is I could break down and cry. I can share and be vulnerable, but at the same time, I want to kick ass and I want to win and I want to throw a freaking ax and I want to burn shit down when I'm, when I'm allowed to do it. And I want to shoot a gun, like whatever, whatever that is for you. And so I, I love that about you too. And I got that from you so quickly. Um, even before I started to hear the story of special forces and medic and special forces. And by the way, like, I'll, I'll just say this, you could say this way better than I could, but I think a lot of people would hear like, Oh, well, he's been in the special forces. That's badass. And then they hear, well, he was a medic. Oh, well, not as badass. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you put yourself into the worst of spots uh, with very little eye on you at all. You had almost no ability in the moment to protect yourself. And you were that badass. You were willing to go in and help protect and save somebody else while being the most vulnerable in the midst of it. So anyway, so that's my little plug, but um, so you, you, you can, you are that like you, I feel that about you. Like you still want to be the badass. You still want to grind. You still want to win. You still want to demonstrate all of that, but you're living and demonstrating the tension of, I can do that. And I can do this not necessarily simultaneously, but in the same ecosystem. And when I do that together, that's going to produce the best version of me. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's excellent. That's, uh, I'm glad this is recorded. Now I can take all because <laughs> no, that, yeah. And, and I think, I think in general, as husbands or as fathers, we, we say that a lot. Hey, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. Hey, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my marriage. Right. And that's an easy thing to say, but I know for me, how many years went by where I didn't do anything? I didn't, yeah, I didn't right. you know what I mean? Other than whatever, other than just 
just doing okay. Right. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't do more work. I didn't go to, I didn't seek out people who were, who had the marriage I wanted. I didn't seek out fathers who were killing it and go, what did you do? How did you get here? Right. I just, it was just easy to say, well, it's not that I wouldn't do for my kids. You know, I jump in front of a bullet for, well, first off, they'd rather you live for them than die yes. for them. Right. Yes. And, and frankly, the first step was learning how to live a better life how to, or how to not just survive, but how to thrive, how to, how to fill my, myself up the right way from within and how to, you know, all of those other things that, that weren't happening, which that's if, right. if, if that's not happening for you, you, you can't be the best version of a husband or a father. Or- that's right. You know, it's funny <laughs> that you say that. Um, I, I, I've shared bits and pieces of, of this a couple of times, but it's just so contextual. So, um, you know, I'd shared with you a little bit about the fact that, um, you know, uh, my wife and I and some of our friends were in the crowd in Las Vegas when the mass shooting took place and a friend was killed. And, <clears throat> um, and, and it's interesting because one of the, positive effects to that is actually this sense of guilt, but I'll explain what it is. So it's, it's, you know, there was this moment when it was like that second round of gunfire went flying and I jumped on top of my wife. Right. And it was kind of almost just like a natural reaction to try and protect her. And so then here we are months Which, later. Which, by the now, way, is one of the answers to what is authentic manhood. Right? Like, <laughs> that is innately wired in you, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, let, let me tell you. I mean, this, honest to God, there was this split second thought that ran through my head, which was, I can't believe I'm going to do this. So it wasn't like I just fell, right? I mean, there was, it was probably as fast as you could have a thought, but it was like, holy shit, what am I about to do? And then it was like, I have to. Um, So I was compelled. But what's been funny is, is here we are, I mean, now we're years later, and I will find myself not wanting to do the simplest of things for my wife, clean up a dish, or, um, you know, whatever, you know, just something very simple or apologizing when I was in the wrong. And this thought runs through the back of my head. And it's something like this, you idiot, you are willing to risk your life for this woman, but you won't clean a flipping dish. Like what is wrong with you? And so I feel like, you know, as we think about the most extreme opportunities that we have to serve our wife, to serve our kids, to serve those around us, it's great to, 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 to have that kind of character and to prepare yourself to do that. But good Lord, if you're only focused on these huge things and you're not thinking about doing the simple little things that are required of you, you are a fool. Anyway, so I, you know, I, I think it's so important for us to always put our best foot forward and to think about the big things that we can do, but we can't overlook these small opportunities that we have to be men, to step up and to serve those around us, you know? And and that, the minute you started describing it, that was the word I was waiting for, was serve, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I, I, I want to please my wife. I want to love my wife. I want to cohabitate with my wife. Um, but I get caught up in keeping score. I get caught up in what my desires are. Um, and I forget that I'm supposed to be a servant leader. And I yeah. think, you know, looking back at my military career, as I progressed in rank, I learned leadership, but, but it wasn't always from a place of servitude. And I think that's, that's the difference, right? Is how do you, how do you serve? How do you, like you said, like not willing to apologize. We, we had just had one of our men's group had this conversation about our kids. I'm like, not only was I not willing to apologize to my kids, uh, there was a point in my life where I didn't even believe they were owed one, right? Children should be heard and not seen. Right. I, I, and, and, you know, now you look at it like, Hey, man, I, 
I'm the one who dropped the ball. I'm the one who didn't act. I'm the one who got frustrated and wasn't my best self. Like I absolutely owe it to them to apologize. Say, Hey, I wasn't the best dad today. Hey, I dropped the ball. Hey. Um, and That's like good. I said, I think there was a point in my life where I, I didn't, you know, serving them meant putting food on the table, serving them meant paying the bill, serving them meant making sure that their hockey dues got paid. Right. It wasn't yeah. <clears throat> as opposed to all of the other things that, that they need innately. Um, yeah. And, you know, going back to what you said is, is modeling it for them, right? yeah. showing them, you know, I, you know, as my kids became teenagers, I, I thought so much about why dad used to say, how many times do I got to tell you? And I used to say the same thing, how many times do I got to say? And then I realized it doesn't matter how many times they say, it only matters what I'm demonstrating to them. Like, it's not what I tell them that makes any difference at all. It's only what I'm showing. Damn, that's good. There, there, there's, there's another rewind and re-listen. I, I think that that is, oh, I think that that is so important. I mean, you, you have, one of the themes that I've heard over and over again is your experiences are now being modeled for those around you. And you know that the best way to lead people to do the things that they're called to do and the people that they're called to be is by modeling the best version of you that you can. And I think that that is, it's something that we can all do. I mean, it obviously requires a lot of self-work, like what you went through. It requires a lot of reflection. It requires a lot of honesty. It requires a lot of desire to grow. But as we do, and we start to put ourselves out there for other people to model, like, I don't want you to be me. I tell this to people all the time. Like, you know, when I'm sharing stuff on social media or on the podcast or whatever, like, I don't, I'm not trying to create another me. No, the world does not need that at all. What I'm trying to do is show you that with this framework, you can figure out what the best you looks like, and then you can go create the best version or live the best version of that. And so I love that you've said that in so many yeah. different ways as we've had this. Well, and I think it would be fair for me to say, just because I, I have that concept and because I have that framework, doesn't mean I'm walking that walk every day. And it doesn't right. mean that I'm thriving in that. That I think the difference now is just I'm, I'm a little better off than I was before. I'm a little further down the path. I now at least have a yardstick to measure. Hey, listen, that, that wasn't it. Or, hey, um, I'm surrounding myself with other guys and I'm, I'm in accountability groups. And I'm, you know, I'm doing a little more of the, the work, so to speak, to, to be better. And if, you know, if I can get 1% better here or there, then that incrementally goes up. And, and, and that, What's interesting in that is people ask me a lot. I, I spent probably the back, half, almost the entire back half of my career at Naval Special Warfare Development, which is, you know, if you Google it, it's SEAL Team 6. And people always want to ask about the special sauce. Hey, what, what was amazing about this? Hey, what was the difference? And the difference is it's, it's a core group of folks who would do anything just to get a half a percent better, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, if shaving just a little bit off of this weapon or whatever it is, makes it a half an ounce lighter, ounces equal pounds, that makes me faster. And so we tend to look at these big audacious or BHAGs or these big hairy audacious goals. We look at, hey, what, what's something crazy I could do, right? Especially in this time of year now that it's getting to be New Year's. And I'm, I'm not deterring anybody from having hair, big hairy audacious goals, but if, if you haven't run in 12 years, maybe a marathon in the next three weeks is, is unrealistic. <laughs> so I think, I think that, that willingness to just just be just a little bit better, like if you do that consistently and that becomes a part of who you are over the course of a lifetime, you know, the, the results are exponential and almost, you know, you, you can't help but be better. You can't help but people can't help but notice that. And they're going to ask you, hey, what was the thing you did? And it's not the one massive thing you did. It's yeah. just all those little small things. And I, and I think 
to that point, what really, when I found myself at my worst, um, I was probably turning 50, which automatically makes you a little retrospective, I think. And I think I was about at the 10 year mark from retirement. And when I was lost and couldn't figure out who I was, I, I didn't even know where I was. And when I look back, I'm like, I didn't make one big crazy decision that, that made me go so far off course, right? It was just one tiny little thing, one little drop in values, one little drop in, in not being the best version of myself, one little drop in accountability and little, little deviations. I, I use the land navigation as a metaphor. Like if, if you're, if you're headed toward a target and you're just one degree off, that that's not even noticeable, but over the course of distance, that one degree turns into miles from the target, the intended target. It's the same when we shoot, you know what I mean? If your gun moves just a hair and you're up close, it's hardly noticeable, but at distance, you're not even on paper. And so for me, I think, I think it was all those little tiny things, you know, when, when I started to look at myself and go, Hey, who are you? Like, this, you're not the guy you were. Um, I realized all of the good habits were gone. And the only thing I had mm. kept were the bad habits, the lack of coping skills, the self-medicating, the, you know, the distracting myself, the, so I think if, if you can just, just pick one thing and just do something really small, just make a small little change to be just a little bit better each day. And you track that because, you know, what gets measured ultimately gets fixed or at least gets, you know, gets improved upon. I think, I think that's the nugget. It's not the one big thing. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Uh, by the way, I hope you have like a secret SEAL Team 6 tattoo somewhere because if, if, if I had that banner, I, I'd wear it. <laughs> There it is right there. It's not a secret. <laughs> I do. Right I out do. on the forearm. Well, the, I have a memorial. We had, we had guys um, similar to your event. Uh, obviously, I wasn't there, but hugely impactful for me. Uh, we had uh, one of our sister squadrons. Uh, they went out to go rescue rangers, were in trouble, um, and they were the QRF, the Quick Reaction Force. Um, they jumped in a helicopter to kind of go and, and help, and their helicopter was shot down. So for us at the time, it was the largest loss of life um, on the SEAL team side, you know, in the blink of an eye. So we lost in total 31 uh, and a dog. So for me and my tattoo, I've got the helicopter and I've got the call sign, but I've got six. I didn't have enough arm for 31 guys, for 31 silhouettes. So, <laughs> so I put six of them there. So for me, it's a it's a daily reminder. That, yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, like working through some of that, what you said is a little bit of survivor guilt in there. There's a little bit of, you know, those guys pay the ultimate price and, and there's so many things they won't get to do for their kids or their wives or their, yeah. and I have the opportunity to do those things. If I'm not doing it, shame on me. So. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I love that. I mean, you know, in no way, shape or form, can you take responsibility for what happens to somebody else uh, like that? Uh, and at the same time, I love that you have taken this opportunity to go out and serve, to, to, to make the most of every day of the life that you have on this earth, to help other people make the most of theirs. I love the fact that, you know, you're so focused on, you know, enabling and equipping men to be men, which means addressing all of these different challenges and struggles and emotions. I just think that it's, it's sometimes people will say to me, you know, like, man, you know, that, 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 that space is so crowded, you know, there, there's so many people serving men. And I'm like, first of all, there's not, there's not near enough good men serving men out there. And second of all, 
if there actually was, could you imagine the impact we would see in this world with every single challenge that we're facing in this country alone, if we could just get men back into the right order that they were created to be in? And so I am all for it. Like, I just, I, I love, love to hear stories like yours and love to hear the passion that you have um, to, to blaze this trail. I just think it's amazing. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things that, that we, we will say is when, when we're only with people for a short period of time, it's really easy. And I think society and culture teaches us to focus on our differences, right? What's different about us? What's different about this person, whether it's color, gender, religion, race, whatever it is, or what don't I like about this person? What makes them different than me? And then I think when, when we do start to show up authentically, immediately we start to hear so much commonality that we have. You and I, just in this short period of time, my dad was a police officer. My dad was really strict, firm-handed, right? Like all of these things that when you start sharing about yourself, when we do it at the camps, like immediately five guys are like, oh, that's me. Oh, I do that too. Oh, I thought I was the only one that did that, right? And I think we have so much more in common than, than, we, than we know. And we, we don't find that out because we don't share at a level that we're supposed to. And, and I think the other thing that happens in that is, you know, we, we start to spread the message that, hey, you, you're not necessarily solely responsible for the problems that you have but you are hundred percent responsible for fixing them. You know, like the people who did whatever they did to you, whether it was a traumatic event that you were thrust into, whether it was, you know, being abused, whatever it was, you're not responsible for that. Right. You're, you don't have to own all of that, but, but you have to fix it. Right? Especially yeah. if you want to be a better version of you owe it to yourself. You certainly owe it to the people around you. And so. That's good, man. I, you know what, like, as time comes up, I think that's such a great spot to land is just that reiteration. You know, I, I try to say as often as I can to people, you know, don't focus on the things you can't control, right? You can't focus on what other people do uh, because you can't control it. You can't focus on the circumstances that happen to you because you can't control it. All that you can focus on is the reaction to the things that that do happen. And then the action that you take is the result of what you desire or what's going on around you. So I just, I love, love, love that you said that. Um, okay. So final word, um, what, what is the big, and you know, it can be as articulate or, or not as you'd like, but what is the big vision as you continue to move forward for yourself in this arena? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. In fact, that's, that's, kind of where I'm struggling, right? That's my personal current struggle is I, I don't really know. I think um, I've done three man camps this year and I felt to me, I felt like, Hey, God put that on me. Hey, you need to go do this. Um, I think for me, I'm at that crossroads where kind of I'm struggling with figuring out where, where my purpose and my passions lie and how that, what that looks like in terms of a business. And there's a little bit of, that, that gets murky in there, right? Am I, and making sure that whatever it is I'm doing, that the intentionality behind it's what's most important. The why is more important than the how and the why and the who. So I think for me, um, trying to figure out what that looks like. I know I, I want to do more of this. Um, I know I want to, like I said, I think we'll probably do another man camp. Um, we did three. They, they each were a little better. They each were a little different. You know, and I think we sort of cracked the code and we'll do another one. I don't know when. So I think for me, I'm, I'm in a season where, hey, I just, I have to learn to be still, which for me is not, not something <laughs> that, that, that uh, 
and you probably noticed me fidgeting like crazy. You and me both, brother. You and me yeah, both. Yeah, that, that, that's not a word that, that's typically in my vocabulary. So I think, and the injury maybe will help with that, right? So for me, it's spending a little more time in meditation and prayer, being still, and instead of constantly seeking out the answers, I think waiting to see what what comes and and waiting to see what what opportunities present themselves. So, you know, and I don't, like I said, I, I want to coach. I want to do mastermind leadership. You know, I, I'm a shiny object guy. So if it's moving, I'm jumping. And I, and I, I really want to not do that. And so I'm really intentional in this season about sort of not just doing And, and I'm also the guy who, instead of doing one thing, well, I'll, I'll do 12 things at a mediocre level. So, so I really want to, yeah, whatever we're going to do next, whatever I'm going to do next, um, I want to make sure that it's for the right reason. And I want to make sure that it's done uh, to the best it can be done. Instead of yeah. just getting it across the finish line. So, and, and the struggle and the tension yeah. there is, you know, not being paralyzed, not trying to be per- done is always better than perfect. Right. So, yeah. so trying to find where the balance is in that. And I've got a great group of guys around me that, that have come through and that are, you know, that are, they have strong faith and they, they, they want to help too. And so making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm empowering the right people, finding the, the right who's yeah. apologize. My dogs are going nuts in the background. Don't worry. They, they so, got something yeah. to say. No, I mean, I, yeah, so I, think- I, I appreciate that, man. And I mean, I'm praying that you continue to find more and more clarity in, in what's forward, but then also this continued sense of peace and what is, I, I think that's one thing that, you know, I'm constantly in tension with is I have a huge vision for, for, for forward. And, and I see a lot of possibility and opportunity that aligns with who I am and what I'm passionate about. But at the same time, I've spent I spent the last year particularly um, resting uh, in what God has done in my life and and the people he's brought around me, the business opportunities he has given me. It's like, I, I just got so sick of chasing next and chasing next. And it was like, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm missing. It's like, it's like being a parent, you know, when, when the kids are young and, you know, it's like, I can't wait till they walk. Oh, I can't wait till they do this. I can't wait till they do that. Like when we're always looking to what's next, we miss what's right in front of us. And so, um, praying for that for you. Um, super pumped to, to hear when the next man camp will be. Um, I got to get involved in one of those things. I, I remember you talking about them before and be super fun. So, um, yeah, it'd be exciting to hear when that is. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, you got another guy here that's supporting everything that you're doing, praying for you. And uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens. Man. Thank you, brother. I'm blessed. I appreciate it. I, yep. uh, you know, that you said it well, getting to a season in my life where I'm willing to accept that my timing is not the same as God's timing. Mm. And so, yeah, you know, we know, we know he knows better, but we, we would like him to speed it up a little bit sometimes. <laughs> and he would like me to slow down sometimes. So, <laughs> Seriously. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you don't want another injury, it's time to slow down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, I mean, this was great uh, for everybody listening uh, today. Uh, make sure that if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, we'll put information uh, to contact Bill down in the show notes. You can hit him up there. You know where to find me if you need me for anything at all. Um, I hope this content was valuable for you. I gained a a ton. I was very encouraged uh, and learned through this. I'm sure you did too. And if you get nothing else out of all that we said, one more time, be you, be happy, be authentic. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Authentic Conversations. If you are ready to live the life you've dreamed of, I'm here to help. Head to ryanjamesmiller.com slash podcast to begin your journey. 
And if this episode impacted you in any way, pay it forward by sharing it with someone you know. I'm Ryan James Miller, and I'll see you next time on Authentic Conversations.